Good evening. Uh, we're going to open our Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter uh, 27, verse 22. But before we read, uh, may I provide uh, some context? Jesus had just been betrayed. He's bound and delivered to the governor, Pilate. Pilate brought up many charges to Jesus, asking him many questions, but to his dismay, Jesus stood silent. Pilate put Jesus in front of the crowd and asked who they wanted free, Jesus or Barabbas. The crowd chose Barabbas, an insurrectionist. Pilate said, okay, and delivered Jesus to be crucified. Pilate's soldiers stripped him. They put a scarlet robe on him, twisted a crown of thorns, and put it into Jesus' head. In the right hand of Jesus, uh, they placed a reed. And then they mocked him by kneeling before him and hailing him as a king. They spit on him, imitating the oil that is poured on the head of the prince of Israel. Then the soldiers took the reed out of his hand and struck his head with it. And now we will read Matthew chapter 32. God's holy word, profitable for teaching, training, and righteousness, says, as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there, and over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Uh, let's pray. Uh, our gracious Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. God, we approach the throne of grace with confidence, not in ourselves, but in your Son so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need, which is now and always. Holy Spirit, help me uh, be clear and help us here understand so that we might trust in your name more, profess it and believe it in our hearts, uh, the gospel to your praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 안녕하세요. 안녕하세요. All right, that's an adult Sunday school inside joke. Um, Matthew's objective, the author of this gospel, in telling the story of salvation is to magnify the cross. And likewise, my goal tonight 
is simple, is to preach about the crucifixion of Jesus. The walk to Golgotha may have taken as short as an hour, or it may have taken as long as three hours. From here, 3000 Grove Avenue, it could have been a walk to Belle Isle, or it could have been as far as Stony Point Fashion Park. Three hours. Nonetheless, that's not the point. The point of the walking your cross to the point of your, to the place of your death was to humiliate you. Humble, it's to humble the man carrying the mat. After all the paralytics that Jesus told to rise up, pick up your mat and go home, Jesus is now carrying his mat or his cross. Although we don't know its dimensions, we know that it was such a burdensome task that Jesus struggled to cling on the whole way, that soldiers of Pilate found themselves at one point scanning for bystanders, namely Simon, to do it. Simon did not want to carry this cross. The soldiers had to compel him. The NIV translation tells us that Simon was forced to carry the cross. When they arrived to Golgotha, and the soldiers there offered our Savior wine with gall, a bitter substance symbolizing affliction and consequence for sin. But that Jesus did not drink. Jesus did not want to lighten his suffering. He would suffer the harshness to the very, very end. When the soldiers nailed him to the cross before they raised him up, they divided the garments of Jesus and they cast lots. They gambled to decide what each should take home. Don't ask me how I know this, but casinos are known to not have three things, clocks, windows, and mirrors. Gamblers need to focus on gambling. They do not know, need to know what time it is. They do not need to see the windows and see if it's dark or bright outside. And they, from mirrors, they do not know how tired they look. The soldiers did not see anything, for they were so focused on winning parts of Jesus' garments. Casting lots at the foot of the cross, keeping themselves entertained. This is the passive obedience of Jesus. He takes upon the sin of man without resistance. This is our Lord's active obedience as well. He submits to the will and obeys his Father by dying on the cross. Jesus is fulfilling the promises made to all of our forefathers, and this brings us to our first point. And now I ask all of us to engage with me. Here in the verses we just read, it is the heel of our Lord and Savior being bruised. It is the head of the serpent being crushed, both the body of Jesus and of the body of the serpent dying, both shedding blood, yet one only will prevail. Let's read verse 40 together. And saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it 
In three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. I want to ask us, what covenant do we hear in the crowd's advice? Which covenant does it remind us, do the words save yourself remind us of? I'll give you three options. A, covenant of works, B, covenant of works, or C, covenant of works. I, knew, I know you guys were thinking this in your minds. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders in union, in Adam, are telling Jesus to save himself. Because of the remnants of, their, of sin, sometimes we say these words out loud. Sometimes we surely think of these words. In our minds, we see others and ask in our hearts, why don't they just put in some effort to save themselves? Why can't they just do a little better? We forget time and time again that we are covered and we are saved through the administration of the covenant of grace, which means salvation is not through our own efforts, but through the efforts of Christ Jesus. And when they command Jesus to save himself, Jesus was doing just that. Jesus kept the covenant of works by earning salvation for us, something Adam did not do. Christ, the second and last Adam, our federal head, fulfilled all the requirements of the covenant of works by perfectly obeying God to the point of death on a cross. Let's read verse 34 together. They offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. Now, all saints, who got drunk off of wine after God blotted out the earth of violence by a flood? Which covenant does this remind us of? Did you all say Noah? For us who want all mankind to be wiped out someday, it would just be nice if all the good guys stayed alive and are in need of a reminder of who actually preserves us people and the land, look to the cross. See here Jesus, who knew every intention of the thoughts of man, only evil, continually saw the wickedness of man, Jesus becomes the curse. Because Genesis 9, 6 tells us, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. The blood of Jesus saves his people. It forgives his people. Let's read verse 38 together. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Now, all saints, who was ordered to cut animals up in half, a ram, a heifer, a goat, and laid, it, laid each half over against the other? Please don't be shy. <laughs> yes, Abraham. For us who fear God just might go back on the promise he made to Abraham, one of blessing his family and for some of us or all of us in need of a reminder of his unilateral promise, look to the cross. Look to the cross 
Look to Jesus, for it is his stripes that heal us. Don't look to the thief on his right or the thief to the left. The stripes and wounds on the robbers will not heal us. Even if the robbers were my parents or our parents, looking at what they've gone through so much to provide me temporary comfort won't provide me eternal comfort. Forever, my parents or anyone, the robbers will not cover my shame or forgive my guilt. It is the man in the middle. Look to Christ, the blameless man, who, as though a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed through the two robbers, Jesus took the curse and sting of death that does not distinguish between rich and poor, young and old. Trust that Jesus fulfilled the covenant God made with Abraham. And he does so by voluntarily condescending to us and dealing with our sin, God alone. He saw to it himself. You remember he told Abraham, I will provide, I'll see to it. Tuesday night Bible studies. He replaced Isaac on the altar, Jesus did, because Jesus is the better son. Yes, he's the better son. Let's read verse 37. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Jesus is charged according to the law of which covenant does this remind us of? Moses, thank you, Moses. The law perfects nothing. However, Jesus is charged according to the law. It is for us who fear that we'll be damned for the innumerable times we've broken that law. And instead of remembering that grace is better, the covenant that God made with Moses is also fulfilled in Christ. One of the reasons why God gave the law to his people was to show them their need for grace. Sinners who could not save themselves by obeying the law perfectly, God's own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and of sin is condemned. God never intended the Mosaic law to be a means of salvation for sinners. In our stead, the law pointed us to Jesus who kept the Mosaic law on our behalf. The law more wondrously protected this tiny seed of Jesus to come. I know I cheated, but I'm going to read 37 again. Let's read verse 37, the second part with me. Is Jesus the king, the king of the Jews? Who is the king God made a covenant with in 2 Samuel? All in unison. Thank you. For us who fear that this world's rulers and the nation's rulers are becoming too powerful or maybe too corrupt and are in need of a reminder of who will ultimately rule the new heavens and the new earth, where do we look? To the cross. Look to the cross the man with the crown of thorns. Listen to the people wagging their heads, walking by and deriding his name in vain. 
If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders mocked his name in vain. He saved others. He can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. The soldiers fall to their knees as they would to the governor, to Pilate. And they scorn Jesus for being weak as though they're teaching him a lesson about being a powerful man. Still, like when David is sitting on the rooftop and looking down and sees Bathsheba and he goes and gets her, Jesus does not. Jesus is the better David. Why? Because Jesus is hanging on the cross up top, looking down, seeing all the people for who we are, who they are in our nakedness and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus is the true Davidic king who builds a house for God's name. It is exactly what makes and defines Jesus as a savior, a true savior in its fullest meaning of the word, one who can save others but cannot save himself. Jesus preached the gospel, executing and fulfilling the office of the prophet. Jesus became the sacrifice, fulfilling the office of priest, and he defended his people against their enemies, fulfilling the office of a king. Jesus fulfills the covenant, the one you and I need so badly to be fulfilled, the one which justifies Jesus as righteous because the law is never going to justify us. We need faith in that gospel because Jesus fulfills the covenant of redemption, the foundation for all of these covenants that we just went through. Jesus is our redeemer, yes? Amen? And he is the one to deliver his elect out of a state of sin and misery. Jesus does not leave the elect to perish, but God, out of his mere good pleasure, redeemed us. Yes, redeemed us. And this is my second point. In the glory and wisdom of God, Matthew mentions that the robbers were crucified with Jesus. If we look at verse 38, then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. When we look at verse 44, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Robbers, the word is used in the English Standard Version, and the other words in other translations, we see rebels and thieves. Do we believe that that is us. That is me. You know, I, I wish if I could rewrite Matthew, I would have wanted to write, Jesus was crucified with them. But that's not the case. These men were crucified with Jesus. We were once enemies of the cross. I had to wrestle with this a little bit. We once saw the cross as a stumbling block. We before hated Christians for admitting how powerless they were, and we were always wondering, when will they wake up from believing such foolishness? 
our natural mind, our natural minds were hostile towards God. We hated anything that's threatened or bothered our self-sovereignty, our self-providence. We hated God, and some, even today, have entered the sheepfold through the back door, still lurking like lone wolves in sheep's clothing. In his sermon, Men Naturally, God's Enemies, Jonathan Edwards said, the enmity especially shows itself in our difficulty with secret prayer. They would much rather spend a quarter of an hour in hard bodily labor than spend a quarter of an hour in prayer. They see no manner of beauty or loveliness nor taste any sweetness in God. And because they cannot, they are not pleased that he is omnipotent and can do whatever he wants. At the right time, while we were still robbers and thieves and rebels and sinners, in the midst of our rebellion, God took the actions of retributive justice upon himself to care and protect his flock. He paid the price, an ultimate price, one we could not even afford, one we weren't even able to pay, one we were never meant to pay. And that is the good news of Jesus, that his Father is merciful, that God the Father is quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It is the kindness of his Father who brings people to repentance. It is his patience that God waited for the perfect day to send his Son to become crucified. And in his patience, God regenerated our hearts to believe it, and the faith he gives us is a free gift. God is so merciful to us so that now we can say the words of Paul. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. We were crucified with him, yet instead of reviling him, we now love him. The claims of Jesus, when we listen to them with honesty and integrity, it will change the heart. We are so sure that grace is irresistible. The issue nowadays is that we will not open this book and read it. For non-believers, if there are any here, I do empathize. At first, I too thought that grace was resistible. My natural hostility towards God and his word slowly became one of adoration. Paul writes this in Colossians 3, 1. And if you weren't listening to anything I said today, this is it where we, we, we got to open our ears. Colossians chapter 3, 1 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden 
with Christ and God. The indicatives come before the imperatives. Put to death what is earthly inside of us. Mortify sexual immorality. Mortify impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from our mouths. And put on, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, hearts of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Bear with one another, forgive one another, as the Lord has forgiven us. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Is that not irresistible? Isn't that so gracious and seasoned with salt? Isn't that something that both our neighbors and our enemies just might want to hear? Is there not a slight chance we and others want to be freed from sin? And Paul tells us in Romans 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with Christ. In this passage, Matthew doesn't tell us here, but in three days, Jesus rises again from his death. He ascends to his Father, sits at his right hand, and the body of Jesus is imperishable with his scars. When he returns to deliver us from sin, we will see those scars on the day. On that day, Jesus will be fully glorified. For us, who are frustrated because of sin, we also know that the remnants of sin still remain in us. However, we trust that the old man is being mortified. With that, we can have the gospel joy and we can persevere. Sons and daughters of God, my brothers and fathers and mothers of God in Christ, God's anger is perfectly appeased. He's not anticipating to send Jesus again to re-die on the cross. He's not going to be re-crucified because his sacrifice was once and for all, and it was sufficient. And because it was sufficient, you and I can persevere. We can persevere like our forefathers in the faith. Do we consider Abraham, all the men that we mentioned in the covenants, do we consider them our fathers? They are the men who trusted in the coming of the perfectly obedient Son of God, Jesus, their Redeemer and who is now our Redeemer. We too then, because Jesus graciously imputed his righteousness to us, we will one day live with him in the eternal life that is promised. We were crucified with Jesus, and we will be raised, because God justified his Son. Today, continue to be enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk by faith 
and not by sight. And I won't mention who, but someone at All Saints has the same shirt that I have. I won't look in that person's direction. The thing is, we have the same shirts in our closet, but we didn't go to Costco together. We didn't buy them together. We bought them at different times. This illustration is to point out that's how imputation works. We are justified by faith in Christ at different times, in different seasons. But we receive the precious gift. That's why we are one in Christ. That's why we are all robed in the righteousness of Christ, of our Lord and Savior, and we're being saved by him. In response, let's thank Jesus this evening for the cross. Amen? Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we uh, exalt you and we lower ourselves. Lord, we do not have to be compelled and forced to carry that cross like Simon, but we do so with willful and joyful hearts, knowing that you have conclusively and sufficiently appeased the wrath and anger of our Father. Thank you for that, Jesus. And help us never, or help us who've forgotten about grace. Remind us again that your grace is so sweet. And may we continue to look at the cross and how it fulfills all the covenants. We thank you for this evening. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.